Welcome to Leave Your Dream Podcast. My name is Selena Lee, and I'm a career and executive coach. I'm sharing inspirational stories from people who overcame rejections and failures to achieve their dreams. I hope these stories will inspire you to have the courage to pursue your own dreams and live a life doing what you love. You'll also hear about how I've transformed my own career from an investment banker and a corporate lawyer to becoming a coach, which I believe is my calling. You'll also learn the strategies I use to coach many professionals out of unfulfilling jobs and into careers they love. I am so excited to share with you another conversation with Michael Kim, who is a founder of the law firm Cobray and Kim. If you've listened to the episodes from my previous season, you know I've had Michael Kim on my show before. My conversations with Michael are the most popular episodes ever on my podcast, and so many of you told me that you have re-listened to his episodes like three, four times, like reading a good book over and over again. And many of the reviews for my podcasts are about Michael's episodes. For example, this review was written by JYK524 with the title, Selena's Amazing Work. <laughs> I just listened to the interview with Michael Kim, and it has given me more confidence than any other pep talk or speech I've gotten from anyone else. I'm in the middle of a career change, and I cannot recommend this episode enough, along with Selena's other podcast. Thank you, Selena and Michael, for helping me to see the brighter side of this very stressful decision-making time in my life. Wow, thank you so much for this wonderful review, JYK. I am so happy to hear that these episodes were so helpful for you. So if you got any joy or value from my podcast, uh, I'd be so grateful if you can please write me a review. This is the best way you can help me to grow my podcast. So when I was uh, preparing for the new season of my podcast, I've asked many of you what you want to hear about in the new season. And so many of you have asked me to bring Michael back for another conversation. Well, the world has changed a lot, so I thought it would be helpful to hear his perspective about 2020 and how we can cope and even thrive in this pandemic. So in this new conversation, Michael talks about how his life changed this year and how he has been dealing with and even enjoying the uncertainty. He also shares his unique perspectives on seeing the positives of the situation and what he has been doing during the pandemic to make himself happy. By the way, if you have not listened to his previous episodes, please listen to them and trust me, it will be worth your time. His first interview was titled How to Make Yourself Happy, which was episode 21, where Michael talked about his career path and how he built his law firm and what he does to make himself happy every day. It was one of the most inspiring conversations I've ever had. After this episode went viral, so many of you asked me to bring him back, so we had another conversation, which I released in three different episodes titled How to Be Unhappy, which were episode 31, 32, and 33. In these episodes, Michael talked about how to deal with the feelings of unhappiness and how to respond and approach our negative emotions in a way that will help us because all our emotions are just signals where we can learn more about ourselves and about what we want. 
I'll be sure to include all the links for these episodes in the show notes for today's episode, selinalee.co forward slash episode 39. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co forward slash episode 39. Or just click on today's show notes from your podcast app. And before I share my conversation with Michael today, there's something that I'm really excited about and I wanted to tell you about it. I'm in the process of developing my first online course and group coaching program, which will launch in 2021. Earlier this year in 2020, I had a very successful small group coaching program, and I decided to further develop it into a course. In this new course, I'll have weekly live sessions where you'll learn everything I teach about how to do what you love and how to create a fulfilling and meaningful career and life. You'll be part of an inspiring community of people who are going through a journey of transforming their careers and lives, and there will be a lot of support and accountability to help you take action on your goals and dreams. This is the first time I'm making an announcement about the course, and I'm actually now inviting a small group of people to join as a founding member. As a founding member, you'll get many benefits, which will include uh, the lowest price that will ever be offered and also one-on-one private coaching with me and many other bonuses and benefits. And you'll also be able to help me shape the course and take part in helping many people to change their careers and lives. So if you're interested in learning more about it, just message me on my website, selinalee.co for slash contact. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O for slash contact, or just click on the link on the show notes for today's episode. I'm only inviting a small group of people to be a founding member, so be sure to reach out soon if you are interested in learning more about it. Okay, here's my conversation with Michael. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I know, me too. Yeah. We're in Korea right now, yeah. both of us, and we'll talk all about how we got here. But the world is a lot different from when we last had a conversation. So how are you? Um, mixed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that there's been a lot of changes in our lives, and a lot of people are going through a lot of difficulties and struggles because of the virus. So yeah. I want to hear about what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, well, I think that... Uh, Generally speaking, I, I'd say um, it's, I've been looking, trying to look for positive things in yeah. the situation, yeah. uh, mainly because um, the fundamental problem that's happening, there's really nothing I can add to it. Right. Like I, uh, I think the last time I took any kind of biology or chemistry was in high school. <laughs> and I, I still can't figure out why the periodic table is not like a rectangle. It's like this really <laughs> weird shape. Right. And then somebody tried to explain it to me like they're like elements missing from it or whatever. But I still don't really comprehend it. So yeah. with that level of scientific knowledge, I figure between where I am now and where somebody could actually contribute to solving the problem is such a gulf that I've treated COVID a little bit like the weather. You know, like if the weather just turns bad, you just try to look for how you're going to get something positive out of it as mm-hmm. opposed to being upset about it. Interesting. Um, so that's what I've tried to do. Yeah. Mm. So I know that you are in Korea now. You were in New York before. So you love to work internationally. You also like to travel a lot. Um, how has the virus affected that part of your life? Yeah. So that's one of the things I've tried to um, get something positive out of. Yeah. Is uh, I think that, um, well, one of the best things about the situation, not the virus itself. I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood as saying the virus is a good thing or that I'm making light of it because... Uh, frankly, a number of people 
not that I'm close to, but I know have actually died from COVID already and in, in all in the U.S. And then a few of uh, Kobe and Kim's employees, my company's employees, actually lost a parent oh, wow. to COVID. So it's one of those things where until it happens to you, it's all an abstraction. And then when it happens to you, it's like the most devastating thing in the world. Right. So I don't want to be misunderstood as like making light of it or trying to say it's a good thing. But given what I told you a few minutes ago, which is there's literally nothing I can do about it. And I just treat it like the weather. I've really tried to figure out like, well, what are things that I can only do now mm. during the whole pandemic that if it were to go away in a year that I'll miss about the pandemic times, not the pandemic itself, but the times. One of them was uh, the ability to just stay in one time zone for extended periods of time. Oh, you know, that's before, right. Before, what was happening was like clients or um people within the company or other, you know, personal relationships, people would expect me to be in all these places uh, in rapid succession. And, uh, and I affirmatively wanted to meet those expectations. So probably every month I was uh, going, spending about 10 days in Asia. And during those 10 days, I was in Korea and mainland China and Hong Kong, if not another place. And then I was in, the Americas about 10 days, usually in the US, but sometimes in Brazil as well, wow. in the Caribbean. And then 10 job. days yeah, in Europe, uh, mostly in the UK, but sometimes I would go to Israel or continental Europe for a day. And I'd lived like this for 10 plus years. Wow. And uh, I got so accustomed to it, adapted to it, but I, I was just really, really tired and sleepy most of the time. <laughs> but course. now just being able to like stay in one place for months at a time mm -hmm. has really improved my quality of life. I can sleep without melatonin. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a lot healthier as a result. I see. You know? mm -hmm. So that's one of the several mm -hmm. things I think I uh, really, I'm gonna try to continue even after the virus, really mm -hmm. try not to move around as much. Mm -hmm. And hopefully maybe people's expectations will have been reset. It sounds like there are some aspects of this new normal that you actually do like. Yeah, my <laughs> yeah. favorite aspect is actually um, not having to deal like meet or talk to people that I don't I don't like. <laughs> right. So everybody at some level wants to avoid people who are not like a net positive to them. Right. But there was like a certain amount of like day to day interactions like that you just had to have. Right. Um, and now uh, almost all that has been cut out. And I can't <laughs> like if you really think about like what makes you unhappy. Mm -hmm. I would say for many of us, it's actually people. That's right. Okay. And, yeah. and so people are probably the source of a lot of stress and unhappiness. That's right. And the pandemic has really created a situation where you can really control a lot more who you interact with and that it's just socially acceptable. It gives you a perfect excuse just to not interact with those people who you ambiguously wanted to deceive into thinking that you like them. Like, in other <laughs> words, you wanted them to think you like them. Like, a lot of people have a relationship like this with their boss, for example. Right. right. You've probably secretly have mixed feelings about them or probably 60% don't like them and 40% think they're okay, but you wanted them to think that you 100% like them. Mm -hmm. So this is actually takes an incredible amount of energy. Mm. And now you can cut all that stuff out of your life mm. and just have limited interactions with that entire like constellation of people who <laughs> fall into that category. And I actually think if you sit there and really think about it, this is like a huge plus. That's right. That, um, and hopefully parts of this will continue after the mm. pandemic is over. Mm -hmm.
-hmm. But I, I, focusing on that has brought me just huge amounts of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So I remember in our previous conversation, you talked about if you really uh, like the person, you'll have weekday dinner or weekend yeah. meals with them. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's breakfast or lunch during the weekdays. Yeah. So you probably don't see those breakfast or lunch people at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you think of like the orbit of people around yeah. you, the closest orbit of people I liked um, were like the dinner or weekend meal people. <laughs> but then there was like an, an orbit outside of them that I had mixed feelings about, mm -hmm. some positive and some negative, yeah. that I would still have to interact with them. Yeah. And it was probably one of those things where mutually they probably didn't like me that much either. <laughs> But we kind of both out of necessity had to meet a certain standard of interaction. Mm -hmm. But now we don't have to do that. So probably both of us are relieved. There's like a net greater amount of happiness in the world <laughs> as a result. <laughs> That's very interesting when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Because I think people focus or like to talk about how people feel isolated. And it's really hard to uh, maintain relationships or network and things like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So for you, I guess you just eliminate people in your life that you don't yeah wanna. and i haven't spent that much time yeah. worrying about the mm -hmm. relationships i can't maintain mm -hmm. first of all because there's not a whole lot i can do about it yeah and so um feeling bad about something you can't change is mm -hmm. pretty much a waste of energy in my mind mm -hmm. um so i think some people get stressed about i've heard two very common things first i've heard people get stressed about well i can't meet new people you know, I, I think making new friendships, making new relationships means so much to me. And in this pandemic, if I don't already know someone well, I can't get to know them better. Mm -hmm. So that's one. The second thing I've heard is I'm losing touch with my close friendships, close relationships. And I don't know how to maintain them, not being able to see them every day and so forth. So um, I actually think that if you feel that way, there's really different ways to think about it that will make you feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. First of all, in terms of making new relationships, I actually don't think that it's a good idea to try and um, make relationships you have you had before the pandemic stronger during the pandemic. Interesting. Because I think chances are very high that the other person finds it pretty creepy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, because the only way you're going to be able to do this is if you like message the person a lot or you try and do a lot of video calls with them and i suppose if you're so appealing that a broad collection of people find it very appealing to have you reach out to them for no reason and they want to strengthen relationships with you uh and this is apart from people who just do it out of sheer commercial necessity right mm -hmm. but if you're talking about like friendships that give you joy yeah um, you know, chances are that other people don't feel the same way about you or not all the people you want to be better friends with all feel the same way about you. <laughs> right. and, but then over Zoom, you probably won't even be able to like tell the body language and they can't as easily blow you off over Zoom because, you know, whereas before you might say, oh, let's grab dinner sometime or lunch sometime. And they could just say, oh, I'm busy that way you can get slip out of it. <laughs> now you can just be like, these are the eight slots I have. And how are they going to say, no, I'm not available on any of the eight times. So I actually think it's super creepy if you make if you try really hard to like improve relationships that um, that you that were not strong to start with. Mm -hmm. So I think you ought to just kind of leave most of that alone, frankly, except for the ones that you have to interact with out of commercial necessity. And for that, the other people won't find it creepy because presumably they're doing so out of commercial necessity as well. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I think for the relationships that you did have, and you're afraid that. They won't like you as much when this is all over because you know a lot of it is people put it in terms of like oh the relationships mean so much to me and so forth 
Uh, but frankly, like stripping it down, you're afraid that they'll like other people more than they'll like you at the end of it. That's, <laughs> if you really call for what it is. Right. Um, and I actually think that because most people are stuck in the same situation, the chances that that relationship will have deteriorated substantially is pretty low in most instances. I you see. Know? So I don't think you should worry about that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think normally when somebody, let's say, is like dating someone or friends with someone and they're not going to get to see them for many months, why why is it that then you feel insecure about that relationship? It's because the other person could just meet new people to be friends with, could date <laughs> someone else and just expand their social horizons and, and realize you're actually not as appealing as other people they'll meet, right? right. <laughs> so in a way, you are like worried about competition. Yeah. But because they're stuck at home too, pretty much at the end of this, they'll probably still be friends with you because uh, you're probably still the best thing around (laughs) until they meet new people. So for the most part, these relationships are in suspended animation Mm -hmm. for if this only lasts a year or two. Wow, I love it. So it's like we're on pause and we have a lot less to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What you've mentioned actually remind me of like years ago, I lost my cell phone and and I lost all the, like I didn't back it up. Of course I should have. And I lost all everyone's phone number. Uh And then my mom, like I wrote that on on Facebook saying, oh, can people send me your phone number? And then uh, my mom liked it. And Uh I was like, how can you like it? Like, I'm just, you know, it's just like such a terrible thing that happened to me. And she's like, well, you can start all over. People who didn't like you or don't care about (laughs) you are not going to contact you again. It's like reset a relationship. Actually, that's actually a really useful lie to tell because (laughs) that way people will just be able to, uh, you'll be able to have an excuse when someone reaches out. They're like, well, why haven't you reached out to me? You would be like, I lost, I lost my cell phone. You see, I, I posted it. <laughs> That's right. I guess it's a good excuse to yeah. have. So I know that this uh, year is very unusual, right? And a lot has happened uh, since we last spoke, uh, sat down and recorded our interview. So do you have any new rules to conduct your life these days? Um, so I think that um, I have stop worrying about things Mm. about the future Mm -hmm. so you know i've already kind of explained in other uh, recordings that i don't worry about things i can't change that's right um other than to draw lessons about what i did wrong and see if it can affect my future behavior yeah um but i think that the things i was doing before the pandemic was really try to plan for what things could go wrong especially in business and plan for all these contingencies and I spent so much time planning for all these contingencies, every, everything from a U.S.-China trade war to wow. uh, dips in certain types of government enforcement, like really detailed uh, thinking. Mm-hmm. But the whole time, it turns out I should have been focused on like the monkey from Outbreak, you know, <laughs> and that's what I should have been planning for. And it's, it just really kind of shows you, yeah. not just me, but like all the people in the world, all these institutions, mm-hmm. all these people who supposedly have so much information are so smart, pretty much nobody really uh, mm-hmm. understood this deeply or the few who understood it, uh, like, let's say Bill Gates, who's been warning about this for a long time, yeah. um, were not able to cause a change in behavior. That's so right. as a collective, even though we're supposed to be so capable, mm-hmm. humanity mm-hmm. was completely misallocating all of its planning, resources, everything, <laughs> right? Um, they were wasting all this time and money on projects that in retrospect, mm-hmm were of little to no significance compared to the need to uh, prevent pandemics, the Mm -hmm. need to research more medical treatments and so forth. Um, And so I think what this is 
caused me to think is I'm, I'm going to stop planning for the future as much mm -hmm. and just worry less about things because mm -hmm. I think the probability I'm actually hitting on like what's really most important is pretty low. So I'm, I've decided just to reduce the amount of time I spend planning for my future and, and reallocate that to trying to enjoy the present more. Wow. Yeah. It also has to do with the fact that I turned 50. So I figure like kind of like if you're towards the, uh, the last one third of your time at a party, you kind of mm -hmm. think like, stop trying to meet new people. You think of like what you want to eat before you leave. So <laughs> I've kind of started shifting my mind towards that. Make the most out of what yeah. you have left. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because we um, lived such an unhappy life in our imagination, right? Like yeah. we, like most of the things that, you know, make us so unhappy are in imagination and actually don't happen. Right. Yeah. And yeah. certain, certain things we can't even imagine happens like right. COVID. Right. Yeah. So I feel like ever <laughs> since Donald Trump was elected president, yeah. Like, I might, it might have been just me. I might have shifted into like an alternate reality <laughs> where then it followed with a worldwide pandemic and mm -hmm. God knows what's going to happen now yeah. you know, in this alternate reality I've slipped into. Yeah. It's probably going to be an alien invasion before the end of the decade. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the virus is not going to go away anytime soon. How do you think the world will change <laughs> and uh, our lives will change? Yeah, I think um, so. There are a few different scenarios of what could happen, but even the most optimistic scenario has the vaccine, let's say the one from that's being uh, marketed by Pfizer, really actually made not by Pfizer, the company, but by uh, a smaller company, um, that it'll take another two plus years before there's enough vaccination around that mm -hmm. we could start going back to some semblance of what it was before. Yeah. Um, at least personally, I feel like if that's what happens, things will pretty much go back to what it was before. I think I it just hasn't been long enough mm. to really fundamentally alter human behavior. I think there'll be more video conferencing now that like a lot of people gotten over the, um, the mental block they had about how to use the software. That's the right. software was around before, by the way, That's it was, true, it was yeah. just as easy to use, mm -hmm. but just like uh, people who you know when um, computers first came around uh, at my first job in this law firm, there were partners at that law firm who would have their secretaries print out the email and read it to them <laughs> oh my God. because they just didn't want to adapt to new technology. These are like incredibly smart people who, wow. who otherwise are very capable. Mm -hmm. So there was like a little bit of a mental block like that, that kind of like just didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So I think people have gotten over it. So there'll be a lot more video conferencing going mm -hmm. on. Um, and then hopefully people will just uh, like clean themselves more. I think that's actually a positive thing. <laughs> and true. it took a pandemic, but finally like, U.S. airports are cleaning their bathrooms. Yeah. Finally. And New York City subways. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> things like that are good permanent changes, hopefully. But mm -hmm. I think the rest of um, everything, the pandemic will not have been around long enough to really alter things fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And there's the human nature and all the institutions that we built up from these huge offices to the travel industry and all that stuff. That's just going to uh, the whole sheer inertia momentum of that is going to take us back. This is also unlike uh like the Black Death or the uh, plagues that have really killed off huge numbers of people, mm -hmm. thanks to, I think, uh, just the nature of the virus as well as um, the state of medical research, it has not been as severe. Like, I think the Black Death in Europe, it killed like more than 20% of the population, for example, yeah. within a few years. Yeah. So things like that can cause huge social change. But so I don't think this will cause that much of a change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's this is why I, you know, what I was saying before is, given it's a horrible situation, but 
I think if you want to like weather, if it's like snow snowing, you just have to figure out what you're going to get out of it. Mm. I actually think that we should all focus on what we're going to miss about ah. the pandemic once it ends. What because, do you think you'll miss the most? I think it's the um, people not expecting me to be places. <laughs> I see. People not having expectations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're able to really spend the time in the way that you want. Yeah, with mm-hmm. more with people I want to be and places I want to be mm-hmm, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if the vaccine is successful, uh, perhaps our life will come back to our pre-COVID life. Do you think that there will be some changes in terms of how people um, work and maybe the job market, maybe the um, remote work is here to stay. What are your thoughts about, you know, what people should be thinking about as they prepare for their careers in the new future? Yeah, I think there will be definitely a lot more video conferencing. Mm -hmm. But I think if you assume the vast majority of people will still go back to the office, I think there will still be for many people the insecurity of Mm -hmm. not forming social bonds Mm -hmm. to be able to get promoted or to have more job security. Mm. So I don't really see there being like really big changes. Mm -hmm. I do think that the COVID situation um, has kind of laid bare a lot of the like the ugliness under the surface that we had Mm -hmm. that I think we probably won't be able to forget once even when the virus passes. So like before the virus, there were several years of almost like a really like no big wars, globalization, everybody acting like we're all just one big human race mm-hmm. and that they all were living by certain principles and i think that the whenever there's like a, a severe sudden change to the negative it kind of really starts revealing a lot of what was on the surface and Very i think true. that's what's happened during this pandemic as well yeah, yeah for sure so what were your some of your thoughts on your observation of what was going on around the world yeah so i think this is all going to sound fairly negative but mm-hmm. i i really these are just like factual observations mm-hmm. so um i think Probably the one of the biggest was the inability of human beings to act in their own self-interest. Yeah, you know, um, is really just the overriding theme, uh, and uh, I think the pandemic has really laid that bare. So even from the very beginning, um, when it be- it became clear this was a serious problem, all these like large institutions, Western institutions specifically, like the CDC. Um, we're not taking seriously all the accumulated knowledge from Asian countries that had dealt with pandemics in the in recent memory. That's right. And they were just doing bizarre things like arguing that there's no proof that masks prevent the transmission of disease <laughs> and things like yeah. that. And so like, I understand the scientific method relies on the null hypothesis so you can never quote unquote really know anything like Mm -hmm. you can't really know there's gravity maybe it's like little invisible angels pushing everything towards the (laughs) core of a planet you can never prove it's one thing or another Mm -hmm. but if you like make announcements like that to the general population that there's it has not been proven they're just going to interpret it as masks don't help right and and the type i'd say the amount of sheer arrogance of western institutions i think towards Asian countries where that actually did have experience in this. I'm not saying only Westerners are biased because mm. what Easterners, everybody just has like all these prejudices and biases. Yeah. But I think starting with that was like the beginning of a very serious problem. Yeah. Whereas if you look at what's going on now, so many deaths and illnesses that could have been prevented in Western Europe, mm-hmm. North and South America, mm-hmm. really, I think, began with 
these Western institutions kind of looking down on yeah. Asian institutions and just thinking that they're more advanced, as opposed to just thinking, look, these uh, governments or these societies have lived through several pandemics. They're all wearing masks and they got them under control. Like maybe until we figure things out, we should all wear masks yeah. <laughs> and wa- and just clean ourselves and yeah. then just fi- and then like research it as opposed to making these crazy announcements. Yeah. So I'd say starting with that, like you know, it was a series of number of like really examples of human irrationality and hypocrisy mm-hmm. you know other examples i'd say are like most human beings if you sat them down and said look there's a you talk about like some grandparent or a parent you really love right their chances of dying this coming year is like one percent but that is actually going to go to five percent this year because of an ex- external event but you could actually prevent that from rising by four percent if you wore a mask in public and didn't have unnecessary social gatherings, would you be willing to do this for for next 12 months? Mm -hmm. Of course. I'd I'd say most people would say, yes, I would be willing to do that. And yet people are really doing the opposite. Yeah. And I think it's it's part of like the cognitive dissonance that exists in most people's minds Mm -hmm. about um, things that do not appear to be an immediate and visible problem. Right. So if things are abstract, they're far in the future, uh, they cognitively know it's a problem, but then they can't they can't make short-term sacrifices. Like something that actually um, irritated me and made me very unpopular among people uh, who saw that I wasn't like clapping uh, was uh, in New York City for a time. There's this practice of around like a certain time of the day, everybody would honk and clap. Oh, yeah. For mm-hmm. medical professionals, mm-hmm. uh, which I... I shared in the sentiment of admiring medical professionals, Mm -hmm. but I refused to do it because I actually found it really irritating how hypocritical people were being. Wow. Because literally everybody was doing it, but then these same people wouldn't wear masks, (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't, like stop going out uh, to social gatherings. That's right. And frankly, the moment that there was any kind of rule or um, legislation, et cetera, that would inconvenience them. Yeah or would try to put more resources onto the medical professionals and would take something away from the, from something they found more convenient for them, mm-hmm. they would push back like hell. Wow. So, you know, I, I think people like to do, like to portray themselves as believing in things when they can do it in front of other people, mm. like honk and clap in front of other people and they feel like other people are admiring them and they're part of something. But when they actually have to do something personally that's inconvenient and nobody's around to judge them, uh, they will cheat in numerous ways to to do something that is best best for them, but bad for other people. Yeah. And I think uh, the pandemic has really created a lot of situations where Mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah, totally makes sense. I think people's... uh tell themselves that they are a person with certain sets of values what they say and what they do is inconsistent i think most of the time it's actually people want to be thought of as moral Mm -hmm. and that's what they really mean and that's why there's uh so many gifts to charity are are not anonymous oh that's right right? and even probably the person doing the anonymous gift is telling people that i'm the anonymous donor (laughs) who knows um and so i think like this the, all the series of events around the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, for uh, so many instances, people ended up kind of going with the flow on whatever was popular. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, after like the whole uh, confusion around it, at a certain point, 
it, I think surveys show a huge number of people in certain parts of the U.S., select parts of the U.S., really um, in favor of lockdowns and not having uh, and, and people wearing masks and not gathering in large groups, et cetera. And then the Black Lives Matter uh, movement ended up creating situations where people wanted to kind of go out and be part of huge crowds. Yeah. But of course, the virus doesn't care how meritorious your purpose is. <laughs> That's right? right. It actually will jump from one person to another just because you're around. Yeah. And so what I think the same people who were saying human life is precious and uh, not gathering in large crowds means that you're supporting human life and there's no greater, higher value. What they really meant was, but if there's something really cool I can be a part of and have other people <laughs> admire that I'm a part of it and I can tell other people, mm. then I'm actually okay if some people die from it. Wow. But they will never actually say that out loud, but that was the consequence of their actions. Yeah. I'm actually not judging it. I actually don't think it's bad that mm -hmm. if somebody feels that way. Uh, I actually find it interesting that most people who feel that way actually are unable to admit it to themselves yeah. while still behaving in a way that causes more deaths. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you probably didn't care that much about other people's lives to start with. Right. You cared more about what other people thought of you. Yeah. And you are slipping from one situation to another to try to look popular and moral. Yeah. And of course, the same people who were so against racism saying mm -hmm. that's their highest value. Um, now that it's not as popular anymore, I think most people I know who were making those declarations have not really done anything to combat racism afterwards. They're just now onto other things. Mm -hmm. um, wow. In the same way that we talked about Me Too in our previous conversation, yeah. how people are very vocal about it when it's like the flea of the month. But do you really believe it or are you saying it because you want other people to like you? Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I'll support it as long as it doesn't inconvenience me or cost me too much money. Yeah. Right? Wow. So yeah. this year has really brought out to light human nature and right. how, how we are actually. Right. And we're complicated beings. So yeah. it makes sense that we are inconsistent. But a lot of times we're not even aware how we're acting and behaving and how that's inconsistent with what we say is our values right, right? Yeah. yeah i think most people lie to themselves and to yeah. other people constantly yeah, yeah. Uh, but don't think they are yeah you know? exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting yeah. this year when covid was getting pretty bad in new york city um there were a lot of like anti-asian american sentiments right yeah all throughout the u.s yeah. uh there were um attacks on asian americans mm -hmm. uh definitely people uh saying things to them like really really offensive things and a lot of this was really pretty uh, well publicized at the time um everything from just like racial epithets to saying that they brought the um the virus to the u.s which it turns out wasn't true it actually came from europe um and uh, and then i think even the president saying things like kung flu and laughing about it and yeah. just things of that sort so it really led to i think a lot of difficulties for a lot of asian americans mm -hmm. I remember there were like people attacking Asian American women on the New York City subway. So yeah. I remember I had to be really careful. It was really sad because I never felt unsafe in New York City. Yeah. 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 And so I, I, I know people who uh, that happened to um, mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. Asian American women yeah. that were attacked in the street and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, what I find really interesting is not so much that that happened because I expect anytime there is any kind of like a chance to blame a, a group for something there's a certain percentage of people in the population that will go and harass those people yeah so you could probably never eliminate that percentage of people right so that it doesn't surprise me that that itself happened mm -hmm. what was interesting is that there really was no outrage about it 
yeah. among all of the non-Asians in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, if you contrast that with the huge groundswell of demonstrations and support for Black Lives Matter, I find that interesting that the same people who say, well, my highest principles were any kind of racial discrimination, racial violence, I find it so outrageous. This is the most important thing in my, in my life. And yet, why is it that they really felt compelled to say that to other people and go and demonstrate or make declarations at workplaces? But then when it was happening to Asian Americans months, just literally months earlier, uh, they actually didn't say anything about it and didn't even pay attention to it. That's right. Yeah. You know, it might have something to do with the fact that you don't really get a lot of social capital out of saying anything because mm. it's happening to so few people and there wasn't like a big uh, cool movement for yeah. them to sign on to. Right. 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 Um, so I think that was really quite interesting. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think for Asian Americans, the the fact that all that was happening and nobody really cared yeah. and nobody actually said anything it kind of reinforced more of the feeling of this really isn't about people are against racism. It's about if you have power uh, to influence how um, what's popular and how people feel, then you, you can kind of get something out of the system. And if you don't, if you're too few in number or you're too silent, then actually people don't care that much about racism wow. or not enough that they'll actually go out and do something about it. Yeah. Like all the ridiculousness on top of the attacks where people avoiding Chinese restaurants. A lot of Chinese restaurants were the first ones to really shut down and go out of business. Yeah, I remember that. Because yeah, mm-hmm. the, the popular notion was people who were Asian in the U.S., must have the virus or must be associated with the virus in some way. Yeah. Of course, the ridiculous thing like in Manhattan was, you know, not only was it that the people at the Chinese restaurants were Chinese Americans, so they they actually hadn't been to China, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. <laughs> they were just Americans who like families came from China. Yeah. Um, but they were also, uh, uh, to the extent that you think maybe there's a higher probability that some relative visited them, the vast majority of them are from like Fujian. Yeah. which is really is a different part of China than with Wuhan, you know? So I actually thought that was interesting that people felt that way mm-hmm. and, and acted that way. Mm. You know, I think it's the same kind of phenomenon of people will say they're against something, that this is something, a moral principle is really important, but it's only going to occupy a few minutes of their time. And anything that takes up more than that in terms of time or money, they're actually not going to do. Yeah. So if they really bothered to research, like, is it really a problem that like Chinese Americans operating Chinese restaurants, is it that they actually have a higher probability of having the virus? Then they would realize actually there's no reason to think that, but it was easier for them just to do what everybody else did and just avoid Chinese restaurants, which is exactly what happened. Wow. It's the same type of like uh, stupidity that I think I told you before, like after 9-11, there yeah. were Sikhs being attacked. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're so stupid, you can't even execute your biased program correctly right. and attack the right people that you mean to actually discriminate against. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So same thing was going on mm-hmm. this time around. Yeah. Of course, the Asian Americans, I think the BLM movement was confusing. Right. For at least, it was at least for me because while I completely agree with the sentiments underlying it, mm-hmm. it was surprising to see the same people who seemed to not care at all Mm. about anti-Asian violence suddenly declare that this was their highest purpose. Yeah. Um, and of course, what's confusing for Asian Americans is that if they look back on who has discriminated against them and, and were racist to them, it's actually just as many blacks as whites. So I think that's confusing for them as well in terms mm-hmm. of 
uh, the, all the people came out for the movement, black and white, mm -hmm. saying they were, they've always been not racist and being not racist is so important to them. Of course, that many of those same people go on and vote for Donald Trump, who was <laughs> right. not willing to yeah. condemn white supremacy. So yeah. it's, it's all just an interesting study in human nature. Yeah, it's humans are so complicated. It's like so hard to understand yeah. people. So how does everything that you just talked about, how does it affect how you live in this complicated world where you have to interact with people from all kinds of different races and also how you uh, uh, guide your children? Because they're all Korean Americans, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, so I, I already had a fairly um, realistic view of human nature to start with. So mm -hmm. none of this actually disappointed me. <laughs> I actually just thought it was more interesting to see that people were um, not as able to keep their um, hypocrisy hidden, that uh, <laughs> these sudden quick changes like force them to have to reveal themselves yeah. more. But of course, they're uh, still like lying to themselves about it. Um, so I think for me, you know, I think that um, uh, it hasn't really changed, like I said, my view of human nature. I always thought uh, people have trouble following their own self-interest and that they try to present different views of themselves to different people. And actually, a lot of my own philosophy is, and you shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah. You should just realize that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm and not confuse yourself into thinking you really are a great person mm. and just understand more like that you're a mix of good and bad and stop making yourself feel bad about it. So I've like my kids who are you know, older, so they're um, kind of don't listen to me that much. And usually <laughs> if I try to like tell them things too stridently, they'll probably do the opposite. So I'm always like very careful <laughs> how to like subtly program my views into them. Mm -hmm. uh, I have really tried to get them to be nice to themselves. Wow. In other words, um, stop trying to beat yourself up for things that are bad in you. Mm. I'm not one of those parents that tells their kids like, oh, you can be anything you want. You're really great. Because frankly, like you know, most people can't be anything they want. Okay? <laughs> right? Most people have like severe weaknesses and shortcomings, including mm. myself. So it's actually not a good idea to go through life thinking you're capable of things that you're really not capable at. Mm -hmm. I think I've told you my theory of the Delta as explaining the one's happiness in life. No. The delta mm -hmm. is the difference between how smart you think you are, how capable you think you are, and how capable you really are. Oh. The smaller the delta, the more successful in life you'll be. Wow. Not your absolute level of talent. Uh -huh. So I think just as you know, people who uh, think that they're more capable than they really are, usually because they've been overpraised as a child, uh, will attempt to do things that they're really not qualified to do and end mm -hmm. up really disappointed at the outcome because wow. you really were not able to do whatever you <laughs> set out to do. Yeah. Um, uh, people who are really capable but have a very uh, low opinion of themselves uh, will end up really never achieving their potential. And that's sad as well. Of course. So yeah. I think the key is to accurately perceive your own weaknesses and, uh, and foibles and also maybe as revealed by COVID. You know, maybe yeah. you secretly enjoyed not having to deal with people that <laughs> you were telling people that you were friends with and you liked. Yeah. And maybe just admit to yourself you actually don't like that person and stop trying to pretend that you're their friend. Mm. And um, and I think that COVID has helped at least uh, people focus more on what their weaknesses are and what their shortcomings are. And I actually think making the delta as small as possible mm -hmm. is, a, is a key to happiness. Mm. You know, it's just accurately perceive what you're not good at and what you're good at, and then just try to like match your expectations to that and stop telling yourself I'm good enough. 
because if you're not, it's actually very dangerous to tell yourself <laughs> you're good enough at something. How do you know that accurately? You know what you're good at, what you're not good at? Because most people don't know it. Yeah, I think um, I, I think at least for me, it's I try to not lie to myself. A lot of people have trouble separating in their mind things that other people have told them they should think and what they really think. Right. So, um, they, you know, if some parent or some teacher praised them and said, you know, you can be this or you're really talented at that, it's very confusing because like a lot of, especially the U.S. educational system now has as a explicit technique, the overpraising of children. That's right. Thinking it gives us a positive self-image. And I think that's probably a consequence, like a positive self-image, mm -hmm. but a positive self-image on on aspects of your character that you really are like bad at is also pretty dangerous, I think. So <laughs> we'll become disillusioned. Yeah, or... exactly. So it's like delusional. a mixed result. Yeah, delusional about <laughs> yeah. what one's strengths are. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to just be more honest with myself about, I guess I'm just really try to think about what, if I feel stress or unhappiness at a, at a level, as I always think about, like that's got to be a mismatch between two things that causes me to feel that way. I try to figure out what are the two things that are being mismatched? Is it that I think I'm supposed to like doing this and I don't, you know, um, like, uh, like spending time with my parents. I actually really love them and, um, and I have only positive feelings toward them. But I find that if I spend more than several hours with them, I actually start to feel irritated. And I think like, <laughs> hmm, what, what is the mismatch? Yeah. And I realized that the, the utility of spending more than several hours with them at a time uh, is actually goes to negative because uh, they, from my perspective, they repeat themselves and start <laughs> nagging me. Yeah. And then probably from their perspective, I'm irritating them too. Yeah. So I think admitting this to yourself mm -hmm. uh, actually helps you modify your behavior so that everybody involved can be happier. Mm -hmm. So I only visit them for like two, three hours at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so you've kind of figured out what is the way to um, interact with them in a positive level and in maximize happiness for both you and your parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, it seems like it's the honesty, right? Like, and not confusing what you want versus what you think you should want, right? right? Yeah, right. in all aspects of your life, right? And yeah. just be really honest about who you are and what you want out of life, yeah. Yeah, so I, I can co control my conscious mind, but just in case like some people out there listening to this feel bad that they can't control their thoughts, and they think I can. So what's interesting is throughout this whole pandemic, there obviously it's like a really challenging yeah. situation for my business and just the whole, um, my personal life, et cetera. But what I find interesting is that I haven't really felt any like personal stress. So my conscious mind, I've been generally focusing on the positive and focusing on what I can do, but I've had these really weird, like subconscious symptoms that I have gotten more severe from, I think the COVID uh, era which is like, I've had all these like shooting muscle pains in my neck, wow. which I wasn't having before, mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense because it's traveling and being on planes that should cause that. But right. I'm like in one place at the comfortable pillow and it's happening. I, it must be like some sublimated stress mm -hmm. that I can't control. Mm -hmm. At one point, I wasn't able to hold my head up for like two days. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Uh, but I actually was like literally walking around, literally holding my head up with my hands. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it went away. I, I don't know why, just mysteriously. Wow. So I think that uh, much as I try to like control what my conscious mind thinks, there's probably a lot of aspects of this that is subconscious. So I've mm. tried during COVID to spend more time just literally doing nothing. Oh. 
Oh. I actually think that there's a lot of value in just sitting for like an hour and just literally not doing anything. Isn't that really hard? How do you not? It's do actually really hard, an and you yeah. realize how many of your habits have to do with doing something. Wow. So like if you if you get up to go somewhere, you're doing something, so you can't do that. Oh. Uh, like if you um, think about things. Or you look at your phone, you're doing something. So you mm-hmm. can't do that. So literally, it's been like sitting and having a cup of coffee and doing nothing. Like so, literally blanking my mind. Really? So you just like <laughs> sit there and do nothing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's been really, really very satisfying. Are you thinking of something or trying to not think of something? Um, well, I think since a, a mind is something you can't really shut down completely, mm-hmm. the mind is still doing things. But right. I'm not consciously trying to affect what it does. Mm. And I found it really... Um, Something I couldn't do before COVID because I have more time as a result of COVID. That's right. Like most people. Mm-hmm. So I figure the hours I was spending moving between places or dealing with people I didn't want to deal with, now I've repurposed it to all these more productive activities, <laughs> including like an hour a day of literally not doing anything. Wow. So yeah. you're intentionally and deliberately scheduling and not doing anything time yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What's the goal for that? Just to... I think it's because... Uh, <laughs> I realized, especially with my neck pain, that there's got to be some type of subconscious process going on that uh, is creating some kind of stress I'm not able to solve with my conscious mind. So I thought if I just literally spend like an hour doing nothing, uh, maybe my subconscious will work on that. And actually, it has helped a lot. Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe similar to meditation or... Maybe that's the same yeah. concept. Yeah. Mm. So like maybe being in the present. Yeah. And then I've tried meditating, but it makes me sleepy because when you close your eyes and stuff... <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So along this topic of, you know, what we can do to try to make our days happier or make ourselves happier, we talked about both happiness and unhappiness in our previous conversation. So I wanted to ask you about how it relates to the changed lives that we're experiencing in this year. So... Um, now, like the world is a tough place, right? People are struggling. A lot of parents have to homeschool their children while working from home. So many people feel isolated when they have very little contact with the outside world. A lot of business are failing. So it's a different world, right? So um, has your attitudes and practices on how to make yourself happy changed this year? And what have you learned about happiness this year? Um, Yeah, so I think that... uh much as things are so difficult Mm -hmm. for so many people in the grand scheme of things, um, things are really likely to just go back to how they were Mm -hmm. because unlike other catastrophes, like large numbers of people dying or wars, uh, like nothing actually has broken. Now I know like for individuals, if something tragic happened in their families, that's something that can never be reversed, but as a society, as a world, uh, as soon as for the, this virus is brought under control, all the same buildings are here, all the same machines are here, most of the people are here, yeah. all the institutions are here. So I think knowing it's temporary will help you focus on the positive. Mm. Uh, this that, is yeah. similar to what we talked about in a previous conversation about the different types of unhappiness, where and this is possibly a temporary problem. Right. Got it. It's both temporary and beyond your control. So yeah. it's something that... Uh, feeling bad about uh, really doesn't uh, affect the outcome. That's and it's right. really kind of a waste of energy. Mm. Now, I think that uh, like the, the day-to-day difficulties, um, the end of the day, no matter how many times people tell you, oh, it's temporary or there's somebody worse off than you, which there are because the people who are having 
trouble in the pandemic, either being home with their kids and homeschooling or trying to deal with a, a failed business. In the grand scheme of human suffering, it's still like not at the worst level. Right. And even people suffering today in the world is not at the worst level. But of course, if you're the one in the suffering, having somebody else tell you that doesn't really help, right? Right. Um, I do think that looking for opportunities to do radical things uh, to change the way you approach life is something that everybody should consider. And now is only possible in the pandemic. Mm. So I think that if um, the ability to not work certain hours and work strange hours is actually going to help you not feel stressed that you have to do two things at the same time, I think that uh, you could just be bold and ask uh, people in your company whether you could just do that. Mm -hmm. So like at our firm, I've really um, tried to encourage our senior management to help people do that since the nature of our work, a lot of it is you don't have to be online at a particular time. You just have to, a lot of it is work that you can do alone. Mm -hmm. So to be really flexible with people who really do have like childcare responsibilities at home, et cetera, that they're still going to do the same amount of work, but just be able to control more when they do it. Whereas before they all had to show up to the office at the same time right. and interact with each other for the same eight, nine hour period, et cetera. So I think um, looking for everything you can adjust in your life uh, like that is actually important. And I think it, there's a lot you can do just even 15 minutes a day it's just thinking about you know everything you do like is it something that is really absolutely necessary mm -hmm. now i actually have this problem where in some ways i'm very analytical but in other ways i end up just getting into habits and then i i don't realize how stupid the habit is <laughs> and if i take 15 minutes to think about it i can really change something that totally like what? Mm -hmm. um so i'll give you uh, uh two examples first is a uh, I, I actually wake up at night probably every hour, every hour and a half. Mm. Can't sleep more than that. And every time I get up, I'm usually thirsty. I usually drink water. I used to go to the refrigerator, take out water and drink it and always think like, oh, it's so cold. <laughs> I went like this for years and years. And then somebody who I told that story to said, why don't you just leave a bottle of water outside the refrigerator at night? And it was like a, a giant revelation to me. I was like, oh my God, you're right. I, I just hadn't thought about that. Michael, right? you're so smart. Yeah, that. and ever since then, that, every time I drink water, and I'm like, oh, thank God, now it's not cold. Um, and then another example is, you know, I, so back when I was traveling a lot, mm -hmm. I had like a computer bag and a, and a carrier, right? And, you know, a computer bag, many of them are designed with like that. It's almost like a little um, flap in the back that you can stick something through. Yeah. So I actually had no idea what that was for. And I always thought, what a stupid thing, because yeah. it's not like a pocket you can put something in. Right. It has it's like a Velcro on one end. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I never really realized what it was for. And I've been traveling like this for like 10 years. Uh -huh. I was always doing a carrier on one hand and a computer bag on the other, always thinking like, oh, it's so inconvenient to have to use both of these things. <laughs> and I was so always so lost in what I had to do that at one point I was stuck in this really huge line. I think it was like in Argentina. And the guy in front of me had the same thing, the carrier and the computer bag. I was like, oh, he's suffering just like I am. And he turns around and he slips the computer bag <laughs> into the carrier's handle. Yeah. And then he's able to roll it. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's what that thing is for. And ever since then, I've, I've done that and it's totally changed my life. And then I'm thinking like, what else like that about my life am I missing? Uh -huh. Is it like I'm, I have like a severe like impairment in some way that I'm not actually seeing things like that? But I actually think probably most people have something like that, that if they spend like 15 minutes thinking about, mm. you know, is it necessary for me to be 
working these eight hours as opposed to if I just talk to someone, could I mm-hmm. just shift things around, yeah. et cetera. I actually think there's probably a fair amount of improvement. Interesting. <laughs> so it's like we get so used to just the way of doing things, the way that we have always done that we don't sit down and kind of think about is like, can I change anything to make my life better? Yeah, I Easier. definitely. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh-huh. am like that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, I think know. a lot of people just are hopeful that you also make some mistakes too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know that this year, especially there's a lot of unhappiness, right? And struggles in people's lives. So um, how do you think that we can deal with the unhappiness that's kind of different this year than what we talked about in the past, right? Do you have any coping mechanisms? Let's say you go through something really terrible and it's really difficult for you. Like how do you overcome it or deal with life's difficulties? Yeah. So I've, uh, I guess I've done two things. First, I've tried to um, do more things to, uh, for myself. Mm-hmm. So like either the one hour of doing nothing yeah, or uh, just finding things I enjoy and just taking time to do it. Uh, and I think most people who have a lot of responsibilities, like if you're uh, a parent of young kids or you have other dependents, elderly parents, or your, uh, your income is really important to the economics of the family, et cetera, you probably feel guilty about doing anything for yourself. That's right. Uh, but I actually think the long-term harm, so if your mind is geared toward thinking you should only do things that advance the cause, the family cause or whatever, you can justify it this way, which is the long-term harmful effects of you not taking care of yourself and not being nice to yourself mm-hmm. is going to be a lot more costly than whatever money or time you're going to spend on it today. Wow. So uh, I'm not saying like, you know, leave your spouse and go and <laughs> run off into like go a crazy gambling trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have something you really enjoy or you want to try new things you enjoy and you want to just spend like a little bit of time and money in it, I think you ought to just do it. Because I think if somebody like me who can discipline myself so well ends up having these subconscious like neck pains because <laughs> I'm stressing myself out, right? I think most people are going to suffer from not taking care of themselves yeah. in the long term and only focusing on what they have to do. Mm-hmm. So I think I've tried to do more things for myself that I enjoy. Mm. Like one of the things I've really started is studying Chinese liquor. So that's actually something I oh, really wow. enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, not drink huge amounts of it, mm-hmm. but really study, study it and like it. Oh. understand the taste of differences, et cetera. So I've actually enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing is, you know, I think I think time limits are really helpful. And that's why yeah. I think um, it's good to grow old and to feel a sense of loss, a feeling like you wish you had more time yeah. in each stage of your life when it's ending, because it helps you focus on what you really need to get done while you're in that phase. And same thing with COVID. I think understanding like what will you miss about this time when mm-hmm. it's over uh, helps you focus on, well, what are the things I can only do now? Yeah. Uh, whether it's you get to live with your um, kids who were supposed to be in college, you know, and really trying to interact with them positively. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure most people in that situation, while telling other people they really enjoy being with their kids, are actually privately having a tough time <laughs> right. dealing with, with kids and the yeah. kids too. I think kids they thought too, yeah. they were going to now take the steps toward being an independent adult. And now they're right back with their parents, like That's feeling right. like they're in high school again. Yeah. Right. So understanding things are going to end mm-hmm. is helpful. I think the same way, like, you know, sometimes parents and children have adult children have a difficult relationship, but then when the parent gets really sick and they're about to die, mm-hmm. sometimes they make peace with each other. 
yeah. it's kind of knowing there's an end to things that helps mm. you focus on the positive what you need to get done mm. so and you know much as like uh if you're on a trip with a friend and you find them really irritating but you know it's the last day of the trip yeah <laughs> you try to find something cool to do with with a friend that you liked some aspects of them to start with anyway so i think the same thing with the pandemic the virus is bad terrible things have happened to people yeah but the really unusual shift in the world and our lives if you assume it's going to end in the next two years you should find what what will you miss about this time and focus on that because you'll never get to do that again wow if i'm wrong and the thing's going to last the rest <laughs> of your life well You'll have the rest of your life to figure out what else to do. <laughs> I guess that's what you've just shared is how we may deal with the uncertainty of it all, right? That seems to be what people really have a difficulty with, right? The uncertainty of our future, like what's going to happen, right? Right. Mm. But I actually, don't you think that the uncertainty itself mm -hmm. is special about this time? Like the new uncertainty of how will the um, international borders change, what's going to happen next month in economy, et cetera. This uncertainty itself is like a precious type of uncertainty that will, I mean, precious, not in the sense of it's good, precious in the sense that it's unusual, right? It's unusual and it will end. Right. So in that sense, it's precious because mm. it's not commonly available. Right. Mm. So this is probably might be, they say this is a one, one in a hundred year pandemic. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this isn't just like the first of many chapters I like this, know. but if it's true, this is probably might be the only time in your entire life you experience this amount of uncertainty for the next 12 months, right. another 24 months. So what are the things you can only do with this amount of uncertainty? You know, wow, like avoid people you don't like, for example, right? So <laughs> think right. about the things you can only do with this amount of uncertainty and enjoy the uncertainty for what it is, which is temporary and special <laughs> and will never return in your life. Mm. Michael, I think what's special about you is that you always have a way of seeing it from a different perspective. So it seems like while everybody's like, oh, the uncertainty of it all, I hate it, I can't stand it. But you're like, well, it's special because it's rare. What can you do to make the most out of it, right? Yeah, the mm -hmm. things that, um, that will happen naturally without you thinking about it are all pretty much going to be negative. Right. Uh, because the things that will be positive for you Usually there aren't that many other people worrying about how to make your life positive for you. <laughs> That's In right. fact, there might be nobody worrying right. about it. Right. So if you just kind of let an uncertainty, uncertain situation like this just run its course, I guarantee you almost all the experiences out of it will be negative for you. Wow. Um, because uh, the way things, the uncertainty will manifest itself mm -hmm. will be other people pursuing their goals out of it at your expense. That's right. Or just large movements in the economy or politics that really have nothing to do with it and you're just, you're just exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to um, try to find something about the uncertainty that you can't experience at any other time because at other times of more certainty, right? <laughs> right. And you want to just try and capture what you can out of this uncertainty that's precious, I think you need to actually think about it yourself. Mm. So while we cannot control the outside events, right, like the, the bigger things, but like day to day, what can you do every day to make your life a little bit easier? Maybe do nothing for one hour, which you probably couldn't do before. Right. right so right. it's like focus on the smaller things that we can control. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So similar to what you just talked about, I think um, one of the, I guess, positive thing that comes out of this year is that people actually have a lot more time and have had that time to really reflect about their lives, right? Like 
who am I? What do, what do I want? You know, right. am I fulfilled? Right. And I, I sense that uh, a lot of people are actually thinking about, okay, maybe I'm not fulfilled in my life right now, whether it's in my career or right. life. Um, and what advice do you have, would you have for people who are kind of considering changing directions in their careers and life? Well, I'm, I'm a big believer in it's very hard to make yourself into something you're not. Right. <laughs> and it's much easier just to find a better way to just be a version of who you already are. Mm-hmm. Right. So what that means is for those people who feel guilty all the time that they mm-hmm. have this extra time and they're not achieving things. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that won't be popular to say, but would probably will ring true to some people is maybe what you're discovering is that back when you were, all your time was structured and you were at whatever job and an office thinking, God, if I only had free time, all the cool things I would do. Yeah. Now you're finding you actually need someone to tell you what to do all the time. Right. <laughs> That's right. So this is put that in stark reality, yeah. stark contrast to mm-hmm. what you thought you were about yourself. This is the Delta I was talking about. Uh, Maybe you thought you were a very creative person who was driven. And in fact, in fact, you're not, you actually need an institution to fit into and someone to tell you what to do. And I think discovering this about yourself, you can have one or two reactions. You can try to make yourself into something you're not which does happen from time to time, but statistically, that's probably not going to happen. You're going to end up after a period of feeling bad about it and struggling against your nature, go back right back to what you were before. <laughs> and so knowing now this about yourself, maybe, maybe it's not exactly what you were doing before, but now, you know, a certain amount of institutional discipline mm. is good for you. And what you were chafing against in terms of hierarchy and structure, uh, that some aspect of this is better for you than no hierarchy and structure. And knowing this about yourself will make you maybe um, have a more positive attitude towards uh, institutions than before. I see. Now, um, the other thing is, I think if you're, if you find that with the time you um, can do a variety of things and that you really are driven and creative and not like the vast majority of people that fundamentally much as they were complaining about having to go to the office and being told what to do, mm-hmm. they actually like that mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to being left alone to figure <laughs> out what to do. Yeah. Like being given a paycheck every two weeks and being told what to do had a certain comfort yeah, to it as right. opposed yeah. to now you're free to do whatever you want, but now maybe you won't be paid anymore. And <laughs> I think most people don't like that. Mm-hmm. So knowing you don't like that is helpful. Mm-hmm. But if you find you're one of the few people who are creative, who are really driven, not that you just want to think of yourself as creative and driven, you really are, mm-hmm. right? I think now you can just become a better version of what you really are. Mm. Uh, but I think here the problem is, again, the, the thoughts of others creep into your mind yeah. and make you think that the goals you have to pursue have to be lofty. It has to help other people. And then you feel guilty. You're not pursuing it or that it has to be really high achieving. Um, I think it's good to be realistic about what you can achieve and also what you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could I spend the time I spend... Uh, studying various Chinese liquors to do public service? Yes. <laughs> Am I? No. Do I feel bad about it? No. Am I going to pretend to other people that um, that I'm, I don't have time to do public service? No, I actually do have time, but I would actually makes me happier to study Chinese liquor. <laughs> and maybe that makes me not a good person. But I actually think most people have this issue. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, admitting this to yourself and then taking the time to that you have now uh, to pursue things that really that you really like mm. and that you think you're really good at, I think is really key. Wow. Um, I think that without people telling you what to do, it's very hard to find goals. That's right. And I, to people who couldn't, who can't define their own goals, I would actually just have one piece of advice, which is 
stop looking for something that you really um, enjoy because unless you're independently wealthy, you're going to need to make money doing it. Mm -hmm. And as I've said before to you, if you get paid, there's some aspect of it that's really unpleasant. Yeah. Right. That's why you have to be paid money to do it because right. people aren't willing to do it for free. Yeah. Right. And the person who's paying you is not willing to do it themselves. Right. So once you accept that, I think what you can think of is the fact that by um, pursuing something that not that you like, because it's impossible to find something that pays that you like wholeheartedly, but pursuing something you excel at that you find tolerable and maybe somewhat pleasant. Mm. Uh, I think you're much more likely to find happiness. Why is that? Because while it's very hard to generalize what people like in terms of work, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm a lawyer, but uh, a lot of being a lawyer consists of reading incredibly dense documents and finding flaws in them. I actually enjoy it, but another person would find that excruciating. Right. Right. They so often tell law students, if you want to be a lawyer, you should go home, look at all the um, warranties on your appliances and try to find punctuation mistakes. <laughs> oh and if you, if you think you can do that every week of your life, then you can be a lawyer and enjoy it. Right? Uh, wow. But no. So what's one person's like uh, reward is another person's punishment in that's terms of right. the nature of work. Yeah. Right? But it's good. We're all built differently. And that's why people have so many, there's so many different jobs in society. But I think the one thing that is consistent is everybody likes to feel accomplished. They feel like to feel they're good at their job. They yeah. like it when other people praise them and yeah. look up to them and admire them. Uh, they like it when they're paid more uh, in subsequent years than prior years. So what are all these themes? They're, they really come from being good at what you do. Uh... And so I think if you're able to, if you have a choice between something you love or that you think you're supposed to love because other people have told you this yeah. is a good thing to do or it's it'll make you proud of yourself or it's important for society and something you don't like as much but you can tolerate mm -hmm. but you're actually much better at i would go with the thing you're much better at because mm -hmm. you know you will like the feeling of being good at something uh, and other people admiring you mm -hmm. and feeling like you're making a difference mm -hmm. and being paid more money mm -hmm. or whatever it is right yeah so I'd, I'd say that's my advice for people who have more time, can't find goals, is instead of looking for what you really like to do, mm -hmm. uh, find something you're actually good at. And mm -hmm. the starting point of finding what you're good at is to understand what your weaknesses are, what you're not good at. Ah, I see. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I am bad in X, Y, and Z. So what does this weakness of me tell me about what I might be good at? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of your weaknesses, just make sure you understand um, are these fixable? Mm. How much effort will it take to fix them? Mm -hmm. uh, or even if you can fix them, do you just not want to? Right? Because <laughs> I think that will help you focus on which strengths to make stronger, mm. which weaknesses to fix. If you try to fix everything, yeah. believe me, most people are so flawed, you're, you'll end up not fixing anything. Wow, so interesting. So many people actually are not aware of what they're good at, though, because I feel like as humans, we tend to discredit our abilities. So if something is easy for us, oh, it must be easy for everybody else, right? right like, right. it's like not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. So how do you actually objectively know what you're good at so you can make something out of that? Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I actually think the educational system in most countries really fails yeah, for in sure. terms of identifying, yeah. helping people identify what they're good at. Yeah, you know? very true. Um, so I think for me, it's been hard to find what I'm good at uh, without trying a lot of different things. So I've mm. tried a lot of th different things and then, 
realize that there are things that I, people thought I was supposed to be good at, but I really am not. Mm-hmm. Uh, like managing people, I'm actually really a subpar manager. <laughs> um, oh, it's it's yeah. it's like one of the most difficult things ever. Yeah. Right? Well, I people. think people ask me what to do in terms of managing people because I'm the head of the co-head of this firm. Mm-hmm. But what they don't realize is I, nobody ever actually hired me for this job. That's right. So I wouldn't hire me for this job. <laughs> it, it, when you create a company, the founders of companies are the people you should be most suspicious about because they never got hired for that job. <laughs> so they were good at something, usually sales, mm-hmm. to cause the company to build up that way. But then they get stuck with doing management yeah. that maybe they're terrible at. Yeah. And so I, I, that's one of the things I felt like. I'm both not good at, and also I don't really enjoy. Mm. So I rather enjoy picking select people that I think have a lot of promise and mentoring them. Mm -hmm. But I actually don't deal well with people that are not performing well. Mm -hmm. But I actually think that's a whole skill in and of itself. Like there are people who can take people who don't perform well and help them turn around and really make them into very strong performers. Right. And I've recognized there are other people who have that skill and personality, but I don't. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep away from trying to mentor <laughs> underperformers. So it's like you you become aware of what your weakness is. So you try to not do as much of that and then maybe do, you know, focus your your attention and time on doing the things that you are good at. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Ah, yeah. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Okay, I was just remembering a, an exercise I do with a lot of my clients called reflective best self exercise. Mm. And it involves going out and interviewing maybe like 10 to 15 people around you and then tell ask them to share with you a story about when you're at your best self and then people are fascinated at like mm. what they hear because they're like i didn't know that this is what i was good at wow that's how people perceive me i had no idea right so right. it it goes to show how like where a lot of us are not really aware <laughs> well, and i yeah. think a lot of us are confused because yeah. what you love to do and what you're good at are two different things yeah and then some people they actually don't overlap at all that's right <laughs> so, yeah yeah no. so your advice is focus on what you're good at more than what you are what you love but Eventually, I feel like if you're really good at something, you might actually end up liking it too. Well, somewhat. you certainly like aspects of, of right. being good at it, for yeah. example. Yeah. <laughs> or the how people uh, appreciate you or how much you're able to contribute and things like that yeah. too, right? And yeah. if you love something, but you're not good at it, mm-hmm. uh, then that will start exposing why you did that mm-hmm. and why you loved it in the first place. So some people go like into some form of public service yeah. right? and they think, or they take a job because they think it's prestigious. Um, but then they're not getting praise and advancement. And it's confusing because maybe they did well in school. Yeah. And they think just because the educational system labeled them as smart, it means they're supposed to be quote unquote good at a job. Right. But overlaying what the educational system measures and what a job measures are there's not a lot of overlap. That's you know? very true. And yeah. so then they realize like, well, maybe the reason I thought I loved this mm-hmm. is because I love the feeling of other people thinking of me as a fill in the blank, you know, mm. important person, whatever. But I actually am not that good at it. And I feel bad about this amount of stress I have to go through to do all this stuff. You know, a lot of lawyers actually feel this way. Yeah. I think a lot of people became lawyers because they think it sounds cool. Right. Usually because they couldn't think of what else to do. <laughs> exactly. And then they realize most of their job is reading, you know, warranties for punctuation mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like we confuse 
what we want versus what we think we should want. Yeah. Based on the societal perception of what's a good job and respectable job or parents pressure, right? Right. Yeah. So like, uh, I think it goes back to what you've said earlier about like just being honest about who you are and what you want and not confuse it with what other people want for you. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't happen only with uh, people who are um, going to like stressful high like high prestige professions that mm. happens the other way too mm. like i know people who were um went to law school with me and then they became high school teachers mm-hmm. because they thought this is not what i really love i really love being a high school teacher mm-hmm. but what they really loved and some of them ended up pretty miserable and quit mm. and did something else why because they thought when they were imagining being a high school teacher what they really imagined was hanging out with kids uh being like you know, popular with the kids and all that. And then the reality was that a lot of the kids were super annoying to them. Right? <laughs> I also have a friend from college who became a bartender wow. after college. Mm-hmm. And he thought that was going to be really cool. And that turned out to be miserable because mm-hmm. you're basically like cleaning most of the time and sometimes just getting abused by customers. Wow. What he really should have realized was he loves to drink at a bar <laughs> right, and talk to people. <laughs> interesting huh which you don't get to do a lot of when you're an actual bartender it's like people become entertainment lawyers because they want to be around celebrities and they find they actually don't get to meet any celebrities (laughs) or if they do they're treated like hired help right Uh that's right so wow what you said is really important because i think oftentimes we confuse uh, certain aspects of the job or what we imagine our job the job to be or what we think we'll be doing versus what we actually will be doing right right? right Wow. And the people who Mm -hmm. are trying to hire you for a job, Mm -hmm. their job is to get you to come. Yeah. So they're not going to be trying to help you understand all the ways in which you will be miserable when you get there. (laughs) There's literally nobody involved in the process whose job it is to help you get a realistic picture of what's going to happen. It's like at a law firm, like as a summer associate, you're treated like, you know, like kings and queens. And they like, you don't have to do anything really. (laughs) And then they take you out to eat all the time. But then once you've joined, like, that's it. (laughs) You're just working on the clock. (laughs) Um, So this year, I know that has changed a lot in terms of how we work and live, right? And I would think that it has changed for you too. Like how you spend your time. You've talked about how you're not traveling as much. So... Um, do you have any new routines or schedules? Um, one of the questions that we got for you was like, um, now that the divide between work and personal life is kind of blurred, like, cause everybody works from home. Like, what are your time management system? How do you structure day to, so that you have, you're productive, but you also are able to enjoy your personal life as well. Yeah. So I think, uh, in, in terms of my travel schedule now being unnecessary much of the time, mm-hmm. Um, it's really helped me evolve to the final stage of being liberated from <laughs> like uh, societal norms in the sense of mm. now I don't actually have to feel like I have to be anywhere. That's right. So I just go wherever I really feel like I can just get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going from here to from Korea, where I've been for several months, to go to Dubai until January. We're setting up a new office there. And also I get to live with my son there who's going to do an internship. So, and then I'll come back to Korea. So I've, I've kind of become totally untethered to the notion of where home is or where I'm supposed to be. So that's been very helpful. Um, in terms of um, uh, the divide between personal and work, I think when I was in the US, I f- that was a severe issue because I was just working from home all the time. Now, what I, a lot of the listeners here from the US don't realize is that like, it's not like that in Asia. 
That's right. Like We're in, in Asia, right it's like life. There's a obviously the pandemic is around, but mm-hmm. it's a totally different scale. Like things are pretty normal. Yeah, true. And I think what um, I always find surprising is everybody just kind of thinks the rest of the world is where they are. So a lot of the people in Korea, I explain things to about how things are in the U.S. They can't believe it That's that there's right. lockdowns where you can't go anywhere and yeah. stuff like that. And then Americans, many of my American friends, when I explain to them how in, in many ways, how simple it was for countries like Korea to bring it under control. Yeah. They can't believe it either. Right. Um, just so anyway. So I think here in Korea, I don't have that issue. <laughs> uh, yeah. In the U.S., uh, I think the fact that you basically are living in your office all the time. That's right. Right. Um, I think it was a really I have a tendency to schedule every minute of my day anyway. <laughs> so I really just try to actually schedule out the entire day of exactly what I'll do including free time, I actually block it off so that people can't impinge on it. Um, and wow. that's, that's helped me, uh, along with keeping all the work material in one place, mm-hmm. really helped me kind of feel like there's some type of separation. But it also now, um, I think it makes all of us realize all the things we took for granted and maybe sometimes resented, you know, having to go to the office and maybe you resented that. Yeah. Having to... Um, go and see people in different uh, cities or countries. Maybe you resented it, thinking, oh, another business trip. Now you realize like going to a different place that was away from home where you could get work done and then feel generally like most of the work was done, even though you still had to do stuff at home, mm-hmm. was actually a huge plus. Yeah. And having professional colleagues and friends that you could spend time with and have dinners with and travel places like you thought that was a hassle, but that was actually part of the perk of the job in That's a way, right. in a way, now that it's t- completely <laughs> taken away, you realize <laughs> right. that, you know, it's something that we should not have taken for granted. Yeah, yeah. very true. So like the, this year we are, um, you know, brought to attention that some of the things that we did used to complain about or that were negative were actually positive. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. we had too much of it maybe. And just like, um, it's like people who, they love someone and then they spend all their time with them and yeah. they take them for granted, eventually resent them. Right. I think this is a little bit too much of a good thing. <laughs> now you realize some of it was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. What's on your kind of to-do list these days? Like, I know, do you have any new goals now that you have more time? I also know that something that I also wanted to ask you is like, you spent two weeks quarantine in Korea, went back to New York, came back to quarantine again. Yeah. I quarantined too, where I absolutely could not go anywhere because yeah. Korean government actually tracks you with the cell phone, right? Yeah. How are you spending your time now? Um, so since I'm in Korea, I just have a normal life where I go to business meetings yeah. uh, and, and all that. So, mm-hmm. But I think um, when, uh, when I was in quarantine, mm-hmm. similar to how I was living in the U.S., because uh, especially my father is very, very vulnerable. If mm-hmm. he catches COVID, it's like, the whole list of what makes you potentially like a high risk of complications from COVID. Like he has almost every possible thing. Yeah. You know? um, so I was living in like a pretty much a quarantine lifestyle when I was in the U S as well. Um, so I think that the, the probably the best thing that came out of quarantine quarantine now for a, a month total, where it literally can't even step outside your door mm-hmm. is realizing I should never commit a crime because <laughs> Until you're actually like unable to leave a space for that long. Yeah. You don't, because I've never done that before. I've never like literally sat in one space for 14 days straight without stepping outside. Yeah. And I realized like, wow, it's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. You know? Um, 
it, when I was a prosecutor, I always found it really interesting how when people I sent to jail, mm-hmm. initially before going to jail, they would all talk about wanting their own room. Because you always imagine like if you go to jail, people will beat you up or whatever. <laughs> people will be smelly. Right. But then apparently solitary confinement is like the harshest punishment. Yeah. They don't do anything to you. They just make you sit there for 23 hours out of the day right. in a tiny room. Yeah. And it just drives people crazy. They would rather get into fights with people and be like harassed <laughs> yeah. and be with other human beings than yeah. just sit in a room for 23 hours out yeah. of every day. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing was quarantine made me realize I should never commit a crime because <laughs> I really, I like, it's so painful to yeah. be locked up in yeah. a place. Uh, even though I had obviously a very luxurious <laughs> lockup. Um, but uh, I think it it also um, uh, reinforced the importance of actually scheduling out your day. Mm. If you don't schedule out your day pretty much and you're just sitting there by yourself, yeah, uh, you can easily just fritter away the entire day and then feel bad about it. It's like an endless cycle of just <laughs> falling into malaise. Yeah. So. I would uh, just basically still set an alarm. Mm-hmm. I would still have like the same time I exercise, uh, the same like uh, time I take uh, dinner breaks. And then just like I was before the pandemic or out of quarantine, I would not work after dinner if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- and I would um, uh, still watch Spanish TV a few hours a day. So all <laughs> this was really, a routine was really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having, having a routine and yeah. making sure that you are, um, doing things to kind of have a structure, yeah. um, and also having some fun things to do on your yeah. on your list, like watching Spanish TV. Because yeah, I remember absolutely. in our previous conversation, you talked about like unless we you put out the effort of trying to make yourself happy every day, yeah. however small that may be, you know your activities or behaviors, like no one's gonna actually do it for you. Right, right, right. <laughs> it takes exactly. practice, right? Yeah. Um, so any uh, so my last question too is any final words of advice people listening and how they can live their dreams and thrive and and really survive in this uh, new world well i'll just repeat the mm-hmm. one overriding principle which is yeah hopefully where all of our positive views are right and yeah. the pandemic will be under control within a year or two mm-hmm. and so let's all focus on what we're going to miss about this time mm-hmm. and try and maximize doing things we could never do at any other time in our lives yeah. well thank you michael right. this right. is thank such you. a pleasure i can't wait to share your stories with so many people they're just waiting for this episode to come out so right. thank you it was a pleasure <laughs> thank okay. you i hope you enjoyed my conversation with michael if you have not yet listened to his previous episodes i have all the links on today's show notes selinalee.co forward slash episode 39. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O forward slash episode 39. Or just click on today's show notes from your podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you can tell your friends about it. And also please write me a review. This is the best way you can help me to grow my podcast so more people can find out about it. I actually check several times a day to see if there's a new review. I know it's kind of funny and silly. So if you want to make my day, please write me a review on your podcast app and I'd be so grateful. And as I've shared with you at the beginning of the episode, if you're interested in learning about becoming a founding member of my new online course and group coaching program, please send me a message on my website, selinalee.co forward slash contact. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O for slash contact, or just click on the link for today's show notes. Um, the course will launch in 2021 and you'll get a lot of cool benefits as a founding member. 
You can also reach out to me on the same link if you have any questions about my one-on-one -on -one coaching or have any thoughts or questions about my podcast. And please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week.